G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Uh, Redmond, on Friday morning, yesterday morning, Dan Andrews updated Victorians around where they sit uh, in regards to COVID-19 and the relaxing of rules or the potential relaxing of rules as a fisherman and as a boater you're excited and you were left a little underwhelmed uh he basically confirmed that they wouldn't be making any decisions uh until the 11th uh which he did state which he did good state. morning Patrick, so, and he did state that yep so no announcements about easing of restrictions uh and i love this quote and i'll let you read it out but it's a ripper when it comes to uh to mother's day it says i can dan andrews i can tell you what i'll be doing on mother's day I will not be visiting my mum, he said. <laughs> no, and we've all got to roll the play in our, uh, in our social distancing. A little bit cold from the, the great man. He's done a wonderful job. He might do a thank you. I think, <laughs> I think uh, the, the pressure is certainly coming from, from fishers. How are you travelling with it? No, well, what I was expecting, and what I would say expecting, I wasn't actually expecting to be fishing as of Friday or Saturday. You wanted a bit more direction. I would have liked direction to give us a heads up. Now, the reason I say this is I have a fishing business. This is my job. It's how I make income. And we have dropped significantly in numbers. We have. And that, and we, we expected it when once it happened. And I'm not saying that we're the only ones. The whole country has. But... It would have been nice to have some direction. Now, the National Cabinet had their meeting yesterday on Friday, but that wasn't going to affect what Andrews had to say because the rest of the country... Have their is, own rules. Have, and, exactly. Yep. They have... Well, every other state is allowed to fish. So it wasn't... We are, We actually are allowed to fish as in the country... Uh, What's our, what's our prime minister called? Scott Morrison. Scott Morrison has actually... <laughs> I was going to say Donald, Donald Trump. No, but I, I, he has already allowed every state to go fishing, as in, but it's up to your premier well, to make the decision. Yeah, it's it's each individual state body to make the call. Yeah. And, and, and we've seen, say, Western Australia, where you've got to stay and, and fish to your region. And most well, Queensland other, are most now up in, their, up in their um, distance, which hurts even more. I read it in the article yesterday, they're looking to, or they're about to, um, extend their kilometres. The range the that range actually in the fish, region, the yeah. region, Regional fishing, yeah. yeah there's, there's no doubt it's got Victorian fishers' arcs, you know, Serious well questions. and truly up. You know, that, you know they're, they're unhappy and they want to be able to fish. So it's going to be a fascinating meeting on the 11th and where hopefully the restrictions are relaxed and we can actually go out and have a bit of a fish. What do you make of the avatar that had the... So I watched uh, Brett Sutton, I think the minister, uh, health minister is for Victoria, and I watched an article with him Friday morning, and basically he said in the in the meeting that the, a journalist asked a question, and the question was based around the abattoir having over 50 cases come out of one place, and is that going to affect Dan and- Daniel Andrews' decision? And he didn't say any answer, as in from Daniel Andrews, but what his answer was, it's not communal. So it hasn't been transferred by the public, as yeah. in, in a communal space. So it is contained in an area where they've got a little bit of control on it, which is a really good thing, as in the fact that they know where it's come from and they can trace back to people to 
uh, any person that's any person that's been in contact with someone who has had the virus. So hopefully that doesn't impact us, Pat, because every second person I speak to reckon it could change his decision on Monday. He might go right. Oh, well, I think they'll, and every state government will be the same. They will all brace, and Scott Morrison mentioned this the other day, when you do relax the rules, there will be an increase in numbers. That is just what happens. Which but is fine in a way, as, because our hospital, as long as, the main reason, isn't it, is so our hospital beds don't um, get full. Yeah, it's about yeah, limiting the Controlling. Impact. Exactly. So the, the, the rate of contagion and, you know, just the impact it has on our health department isn't just, you know, 24 million Australians yeah. all at once. It's spread out over a long period of time. Redmond, I uh, I picked up a um, Club Marine magazine during the week. You love and, your uh, club. I'd, well, Marine I'm sure magazine. my boat's wrong. Um, wouldn't mind it a bit cheaper anyway. Can't, <laughs> can't use the boat at the same time at the moment, so that's, that hurts a bit. Anyway, um, and I read a great article, Coast to Coast, it's called it's Part 3, and it's about um, uh, a man and his partner, Tim Mitchell and Jado. Donovan, and they've been uh, circumnavigating Australia basically over the last eight months. And obviously, this has been pre-COVID because we can't travel from state to state. They're originally from Geraldton, um, and they've travelled right around the country, and they've done it in a uh, extreme six forty-five trailer boat, beautiful, um, beautiful plate boat built out of um, New Zealand. And it sort of got me thinking: if you could have any boat to travel around Australia in, what would it be? And when you think of the things that you need to be able to do, you need to be able to travel offshore. Um, estuary. Estuary fishing. Um, you're going to beach launch at different stages. So it does limit the the size of the boat you can take. And you're going to take it on corrugations. You know, you're going to go through the middle of the desert. So it's going to need to be able to go off-road. Um, what's the perfect size and the perfect boat to take question. around Australia? And be able to fish offshore, you know, be able to go up to... Um, Exmouth and fish for um, billfish, fish out of Darwin and fish for Barra, head to Mission Beach or far north Queensland off Cape York and, and fish those remote locations. What's the ideal boat for you if you were going to pick up your, your belongings, pick up little Finn and Kari, take them around Australia, what boat would you choose? Oh, are they coming? <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh... I'd have to go the biggest Riviera you could possibly get and have three, t- <laughs> three tenders off the back to get in shallow. Is that all right? Uh, yes. <laughs> no, no. I'll, go, I'll go serious. I reckon you have to go plate. I agree, yep. Uh, the reason for that is just to get you into places that you probably can't get into with a deep V-hull. Uh, what I mean by that is like a 2 through 3 formula, for example, if you get that stuck on the beach... You're probably not going to get it off the beach, so it's and also driving through corrugations. Just the weight of a fiberglass boat continually banging. Like I love fiberglass boats. Oh, and so but do if I. you're circumnavigating around Australia, I don't think they're your your choice of weapon. And fuel as well. They yeah. need big horsepower engines. It's going to cost a lot of money. I reckon that extreme boat is nearly well, nearly perfect. How big was it? it was a six? That was six point four meters. That's I, nearly I perfect. I wouldn't take anything that big. You wouldn't go. No, I'd go six. If I'm traveling that far, I'd have for comfort, for sleeping, and the likes. You couldn't go much smaller. No, I'm telling you, I I would definitely go smaller because you've got to be able to trailer it, and you've got to be able to. Oh, I thought they were traveling. Sorry, when you asked the question, I thought you meant they were on the water traveling. No, no, no. Gotcha. No, now it changes. Yeah, no. So they've you know they've arrived at locations, launch their boat, launch the boat, go off. Like it hasn't just been totally boat bound. Okay, well that makes a little bit different. Uh, I'd nearly go fiberglass. If I'm not doing the kilometres on the water, 
Oh, then it comes to towing as well. Exactly. Yeah, no, you've got me aluminium. You're going to tow through the middle of the desert, so you can't just, like the corrugation's through the middle of the outback. Like as in stones flicking up and... Yeah, and also the undulation of the road. As in the road itself, yeah. Destroyed by the, by semis. I I think, and I actually... Well, you answer it. Well, I think I've actually got it. I I would take my Stabie 15 footer. Your little 1550? Yep. I think it's small enough that you can actually... Trailer it easy. You can go into remote locations. Um, there's some I'd go incredible little, places in far northern Queensland, and you can actually take it off the beaten track I'd, if you're up the trailer. I'd go a little bit bigger. I'd have to go bigger just for the just for the if you're doing if you're talking billfish and the likes. I'd like to go just a little bit bigger, especially if I'm travelling to the other side of the reef, barrier reef or something. You got to travel thirty or forty k's, like a five and a half meter maybe. Even yeah, like Craig Craigo just sold his, but his eighteen fifty stabby was a. You could do anything in that. Yeah, so that's five and a half meters. It's, yes. So that's that's got the the uh, hard top yeah. on it as well, which is comfort. So you're and not going to get tops. you're not going to get wet. But up yep. north, though, up north it's going to be hot. So you can actually that's where you can get away with your fifteen fifty like yours, where you've got the air in your face and you're not going to get. You've actually got a half a windscreen on yours. So yours is actually the ultimate boat for both conditions, probably. I think it is, and. Apart from the fact that it does chew through juice pretty quickly, it's got a sixty liter tank. I reckon if you're going to go around. That sort of fishing, I reckon you'd try and get to 100 or 120. I don't know how they could work that with the sort of underfloor flotation and the fuel. Mm. But oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to I'm going something a bit bigger. I'm going I'm going a bit bigger. I'm going just just shy. I'm going five and a half meters just to be put, just to have a com- bit of comfort. I've done it. If, so Dad and I, so the whole family, 2001. Went around Australia, had a little uh, stacer of four point one four. Jeez, it was great. Just, just the um, eastern seaboard of Australia, and it was right up to Cape York. It was just and you towed it from here. Towed it from here, and it was just fantastic. Had a nineteen eighty three Johnson thirty five horsepower <laughs> two stroke. The old Johnsons took it seventeen k's offshore one day. God, I think of it now and just go, what were we? Thinking. You were with your dad. That's what you were thinking. Yeah. Your dad doesn't think sometimes. He just goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was eleven at the time, so I was just trusting dad. Um, <laughs> So you can't fish in Victoria, right around the country though, Redmond, you can. Yeah, I just um, want to talk about the yellowfin tuna pat off the east southeast coast. Or we're gonna go east coast of New South Wales. They're right up to Sydney way. They are, sorry, I'll just finish off that combo. If you are interested in uh, Tim and Jade's uh, journey, they've got a great um, social media fo- uh, social media following and you can also follow it on the Club Marine um, Magazine, it's a it's a great read. It just um, you can immerse yourself in their story of traveling. So, um, sorry, yellowfin yep. tuna. Oh, it's just it's great to see the numbers back. I know they had a little bit of a tough bite uh, the last few days to nearly half a week probably uh, because I blame the moon and you know myself, Pat, and the moon. Some people like it, some people don't. I definitely do not like. Uh, the moons and I we've actually got a guest coming on the show very soon uh, John from Mimosa Oysters joined us he actually went out so we might actually ask him a couple of questions but it was a bit quieter on the day for, for the boys he headed out with uh, Matty Kassar on their big boat out of uh, Bermagui and how's this they travelled out all this way and there was a yellowfin caught straight out the front of the ramp the oh, poor guys literally me. straight out the front but there was a quiet day but the numbers of fish that have been showing up from Batesman's Bay uh, right down to Tarthra, even I've heard reports out of Tarthra. It's great to see. And there's some seriously quality fish. They're 80 kilo fish. Now, these fish are being caught in mixed methods, completely different. So, some are trolling lures, stick baiting, and of course, the famous method to catch yellowfin, cubing. So, fishing with your dropping your cubes out. So, that means throwing your pillies in. So, are you seeing the fish before you. Um 
before you start to cube, or are you cubing them nah, in the, areas you think you're going to? Yeah, catch they'll them? be they'll be all following their SST, um, the SST on the rip charts that we always talk about. Your surface temp, so they'll be going to areas where they like, uh, possibly where they've seen fish as well. But also when you're trawling around, the benefit of trawling around is the speed that you troll at. So you're sitting at that seven knot, say either side, and when you're covering the ground rapidly, you can also mark up bait and fish. So when you start marking up a lot of bait and fish, you know eat tuna. So tuna has to eat a third of its body weight a day. So you know that they're going to be in that area somewhere, especially when there's reports come from that area, that they have to be somewhere there. So you can set up your cube, cube trail, keep a constant cube trail coming. And you, Some of the fish are beautiful. They're 80 plus kilo. So they're quite big fish. Uh, some are 20 kilo, but... I don't know, yellowfin just have these thing about them. Now, I've never, ever caught a big one of yellowfin. I've caught a lot of around that 20-kilo mark. I've never yep. caught any big ones. But those sickles that come off the bottom oh, of it in the water... Aren't they magnificent? Would they have to be... Well, what would you say the prettiest fish in the water is? Does that, does that sound all right saying that? Uh, I love Maui Maui, dolphin fish, yep. before you take them on board because as soon as the you color. kill a dolphin fish, or, it, it looks terrible. But uh, the, the fluorescence of that... I love the look of... Of a sailfish, I think there's something. Yeah, sailfish know, spectacular and around that. Yeah, very like, They're the ultimate for me, but um, yeah, I take I've, your I take your point around the yellow thing. They do look just spectacular. I think it's the fact how they're, they're born for speed, so they're shaped up so well either side of them. All everything tucks in. They got these two big round, roundish yellow sickles hanging off the back of them. When they come up on the side towards the boat. You know you've got a yellow fin because they look completely different to a blue fin in the water. You get this yellow glare off it. But in saying that, like a blue fin in the cold water coming out in that blue water down off Portland comes up as well with all their blue colours going through it. I reckon, I don't know, yeah, I'm going yellow fin looks better. Um, when we do hear this announcement come Monday, yep. um, if it is green light to go ahead, what are the things that you're going to look to target that are the, the quickest way anything to, that to moves, land a meal. Anything that moves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be uh, – whiting has to be the go-to, I yep. think. Uh, May April, May is my best months for whiting. Uh, we've always, so you look at his uh, your sort of historical data and go, okay, this is where I've caught fish previously. I'm yep. going to go back to that. Yeah, 100%. I've got yep. nothing to work off. So yep. I haven't fished for well, – it would be nearly eight weeks, wouldn't it be? Yep. Probably seven, eight weeks, eight weeks. Uh, I've got nothing to work by from at all other than what – I know in my head, as in the, the, the skills that I'll put into play. So looking for your dirty water, looking at my swell, working out where these fish are going to be. But, and I'll say this to you right now, go onto your Facebook, because I can guarantee you, if you've caught some good fish, you probably put it on your Facebook. <laughs> go back through, or even your phone, when you've taken photos. Go through your phone, look at the, I think it's the 11th of May, yep. uh, look at that date on your phone. Have a look at your pictures that you caught fish for that month and work from those marks. That's probably the best way to do it. If we are allowed to travel, you'd be stupid not to go down and chase a barrel bluefin tuna. Yep. During the week, we saw some awesome footage of a bloke standing off uh, Cape Bridgewater, and he had his binoculars, and he had his phone going through his binoculars, filming <laughs> the bird life outside, and then we went viral on social media of the barrels, or well, I suppose they're barrels, but the bird life that is working on the water. There was just birds, acres Everywhere. of them. Like, it was yep. insane. So... To go chase a barrel bluefin will be 100% worth it. And then obviously the tuna outside Port Phillip Bay Heads, where we left them, who knows where they are. And I've heard a little sneaky, little sneaky local report that they're still there. Huge episode of Real Adventures coming your way this morning. Plenty more to come after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood.
Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the social hub. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures social pages, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. First one is for you, Redmond. It is from Gary. Um, your favourite rod and reel that you own? Favourite rod and reel that I own would have to be at the moment, I'm going with my, I'm in love with my whiting rod. The Samurai Reaction, two to six pound, matched with a two and a half thousand uh, Stratic at the minute, 10 pound braid. That's probably my pick at the minute. Perfect. Next one is from Tim. Hi, boys. I'm looking to upgrade my trailer. I'm not sure whether to go a skid or a roller trailer. What are your thoughts? What do you use for your own boats? Uh, good question. I, I've i got the rollers underneath the stabby, and I can't fault it. Guides you on perfectly well. And I've, I launch in places where there's a lot of tide, so the rollers can guide you on perfectly. But what are you, what, what are you going to have under yours, Pat? I've got a... Um, on my Stabie, I've got rollers, yep. and that's just a standard Dunbier trailer. Uh, if, I, if I went again, I'd probably look at, I probably would look at skids. Yep. I'll definitely go skids for my next North Bank, the 750. Um, I mean, it's horses for courses. Off a, off a beach, rollers are a lot easier. Because it just throws the boat off. Yeah, it really does. Like when we roll back, actually, I'm going to change my mind mid-sentence. I'll, you have to keep rollers with... Because we, we use the weight of the boat to jolt the boat. The boat to roll off. Yeah, it has to roll off. So um, if you've got, you know, a really good decline on the beach, then it's fine because you can launch into deeper water. But where we launch in the corner, it's just no good. So, uh, Mick. Hey, Danger and Aaron. I want to buy a nine-foot spinning rod to fish with lures from the beach. My question is, can you get a good Shimano 9.2 uh, Makura uh, which is very light and feels good for around 150, or you can go a Daiwa Saltist Demon Blood 9.6, which is a beast for $400. What would you guys recommend and why? Please add any other options that you guys may use. Cheers, Big Mick. Nice work, Big Mick. Uh, I don't know a lot about those either rods, do you? Uh, I haven't used them myself, but if I was to choose any gear and you can and I'm this um, is not a sponsored remark either this is not a sponsored I I don't think you can just compete Shimano with their 10 year warranty yep and uh, their quality in those small in cheaper reels so the Siennas for example I think they're a $45 reel so we're talking beach fishing yeah that's surf though. fishing but I'll just yeah. give you an example yep. for example a Sienna which is a $40 reel or a $50 reel I've still got them from when I was younger and they have not broken yeah yeah uh, when you go cheaper in the Daiwa, I definitely have had reels play up. Yep. Uh, that's my honest opinion. And that's not, I'm not sponsored by either. So that is literally. Depends what you, like I've had a Saltese for 10 years and it's been unbelievable. Yep. Same with Stella, same with um, a whole lot of different brands of reels. So I don't, I've, like depends. Is it how you care for the reels perhaps? It 100% could be because I don't think I've ever watched a fishing reel in my life. <laughs> no, I have. I'm just, right. no, not much. Well, La- what would you choose? Come on. Would you go the four hundred dollar or the hundred and fifty? I don't beach fish very often, so I'll go hundred and fifty. That's if- a good answer. That's a really good answer. Yeah. How often you're gonna use your gear is probably yeah, I'll- absolutely. Hundred percent. And that's why if you're gonna spend really good money, it's gotta be something that's gotta um it's gotta have its purpose and useful. Yeah, and cover a few bases. Like I would spend I would I would comfortably spend the money on a stellar um that you're which gonna I use- have with my five thousand because I use it for everything. Absolutely. Yeah, everything. you do. You do. Yeah. 
Like yep. I do the same thing with a two and a half. Like I've got Stratix for that. But I would honestly go to a Stella simply because I just use it for so many different forms of fishing. So, if so you, you get your money value out yeah, of it. Yeah, if you're not going to fish with it a huge amount, then... Well, that's your answer. If you're going to fish very often, go the expensive one. If you're going to go here and there, hit that $150 one. Uh, last question is from Steve. Uh, hi, boys. I'm looking to upgrade my bilge pump. Do you have a semi, uh, semi-automatic? semi not sure what he's written there. A semi-automatic or a manual bilge pump in the boats that you use? I turned... Semi-automatic? I, I know what he means. I turned my... So it has this in the stable for ages. We had... It was a manual bilge that come on all, all the time and power was off, but it was wired up to the like the battery itself. And in the bilge pump, you can have... It's a switch. It's on like a timer yep. and it constantly comes on. And I had no idea that it was on a timer. And we're away camping in Eden. This is not this season, you know, the one before. And we're sleeping. The boat's parked next to us because we're in the tents and the swags. And all you could hear is... Right in your ear overnight, you're like, why is this thing doing that? Is there water in it? And you're constantly checking. There's not, which is good when you're out tuna fishing because it constantly pumps the water out. Yep. But when you're camping two foot from it, and also if you're going to leave your boat for a long period of time, could it make your battery go flat? So in the end, I actually had to change my bilge pump. I had one go on me and realized that you could actually stop that timer. So I stopped it, but I had it on a float switch still. So what I mean by a float switch is, the, I think that's what he meant by the automatic. When it fills up. When it fills up, it empties itself. So it constantly drains the whole time. The only time I'd use a manual bilge pump um, is if I had a boat without a floor. So if you've got an open tinny yep. and you didn't want to have any batteries in the boat, I'd use it then because you can see, oh, water in the boat, all right, I'll switch it on. Yep, perfect. Now it's time, well, that, sorry, wraps up our social media Questions, our social club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Now it's time for our dream boating destinations, thanks to Club Marine. Ensure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. Redmond, our dream boating destination for this morning. Don't think I can go past it with how good the fishing has been as of late, and we haven't done it yet, Patrick, and it's Port McDonald, Port McDonald down in South Australia, right on the border there. Yeah, the, the South Aussies are praying, well, those that are around Port McDonald, that uh, We're not allowed to fish. The Vicks don't <laughs> lift the, the bands because they have dined out on incredible fishing. So when I, they say incredible fishing, I'm just going to give you, just this is just yesterday they posted this, I'll read exactly off the Port McDonald Fishing Charters page. Have a listen to this, Pat. Hi, everybody. We've had some really great fishing over the last four days. Sunday, we landed three barrels as well as some school fish. Monday was a little bit quiet, but then Tuesday, we went out deep dropping and we got a great mixed bag. And yesterday, boys also caught 24 school tuna for the day. That's there is some of the best fishing you could possibly get. And so Port McDonald is about five hours from Melbourne, give or take, with a couple of, couple of beer stops on the way, Patrick. Yep. But or just under 500 clicks from uh, Adelaide. <laughs> Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yep, there you go. Well, mate, we're a national show. This is more than just well, trying Victoria. to be relevant to myself. But uh, <laughs> it um, and it's about a place that how I like to do it is, it, it's hard to get accommodation there at times if you're not in there early. And what I mean by that is, if a barrel tuna bite happens there, it is on, and every man in his boat is there. And it's not a huge town; it's a crayfishing town. Yep. And you drive in, and trust me, it looks like a crayfishing town. So you drive in there. And it's got the old school buildings and you look out to your left and there's more cray boats there than you'll nearly see anywhere else. It's, it's unreal. Real big cray boats. And you dr- when you get there, like I said, accommodation, very tough. So I like to stay in Portland. 
Yeah. It's an hour and 15 minutes drive. So it's okay. a bit of a pain in the backside. But if you can't get a comp, Portland is where you can stay. But obviously try Port McDonald first. There's houses there you can rent. You can rent houses out and get three of your mates that are going up there. You guys can all put in together and you can get it really cheap to high houses. And there's numerous guys there that do have their houses. So once you get there, make sure you talk to a few locals and if they want to talk to you and uh, and organise. You some found c- it tough, have you? I have found it one. I have found it what tough. One one local wasn't that nice to me. Did you have your? You would have had the Vic plates on. That's why. I took them off. <laughs> when I was first drafted into South Australia, I heard rumours that um, <laughs> when you'd play games, you had Vic plates on that they'd key your car. Did you get keyed? No, never. <laughs> but I back- don't know, people just making up sort of things about poor old South Aussies. Back to the fishing, extreme fishing, extreme marine charters. Very good fishing charter there, and as well as Port McDonald fishing charters that I spoke about two seconds ago. The thing with these guys is. And I want to, they've got such a good fishery, you're very rarely going to miss out. So what I mean by that is you can head out of Port McDonald and you've got to cross a very nasty bar. And what I mean by a nasty bar is it runs for nearly 10 kilometres long and you're going parallel to the shore through a surf beach. And what I mean by a surf beach, it's a surf beach. It's the only place I've ever been scared in my life yeah. in a boat. I've only ever, I did it once and I was panicking when I got in. I couldn't even talk. It was the only time in my whole fishing career I've ever been worried so it can be but that's that comes down to not being dumb like myself go out on your own experience like make sure yep. you know exactly what you can and can't do but if, it, if it's got a nice day it's a beautiful place a very good launching facilities very very good huge amount of car park so it's a place to head to if you haven't if you want to land a big fish and another really really good aspect to it is the fish can be as close as nine ten kilometers from the ramp so you do more driving going through that surf beach that I was just talking about, then you do actually then pushing behind that and catching fish. Yeah. It's a very reefy area. So hence why the crayfish are so good there. But everything else likes reef. Snapper, school sharks, gummy sharks, you name mako sharks. They all love reef. It all holds structure. It all, uh, it all holds life, which holds bait, which holds pelagic fish as well. So that's where the tuna come in. So if you do want to go catch a quality fish, hit up one of the charter boats or take your own boat there. It's a beautiful place. It really is a picturesque place, and you're going to catch very, very good fish. You can go out there, Pat, and you can catch five school sharks, four gummies, and ten tuna in a day, and that's not exaggerating. The Charter Boys did it the other day. So, Port McDonald, five hours from Melbourne, and it's definitely a place that we should have had on you earlier. Port McDonald is our Club Marine dream boating destination. Club Marine is Australia's leading provider of insurance for boats and jet skis, and now you can win the dream. With Club Marine. Club Marine members have the chance to win a share of over $260,000 in prizes, including a Ram 1500 Laramie pickup truck and a Northbank 600C boat and trailer package. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Eligibility criteria, terms and conditions apply. Call for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. New South Wales permit number LTPS 19 33208. On Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for All Aboard. Thanks to the Dometic CIB 26 Cooler Bag. Keep food and drinks cool on your adventures. Our special guest this morning is John Blankenstein from Mimosa Rock Oysters. And I'm not sure if he's actually got any oysters left, Aaron, because you've basically purchased every single oyster. I reckon they had... Um, 
being able to distribute over the last month. <laughs> You've just taken over. I've given it a touch-up, but not as bad as some of the other boys, am I, John? A few of the guys from Melbourne, we've got uh, we've got Jimmy down there and Joven. They've been ordering 30 dozen at a time, haven't they, John? <laughs> morning, John. Yeah. Yeah, good morning, Aaron. It's uh, It's been a hell of a isolation, I'll give you the tip, because all I've done is eat oysters. <laughs> so, John, first of all, how did it all start, getting family-based, is it, uh, getting involved in the oyster business? Yeah, well, it's an interesting story, actually. Um, the the business kind of just evolved over a, a fly fishing session up high on the Monaro um, over a season. Um, and I was plumbing at the time, running a commercial plumbing business, and I was just jack of, you know, chasing bills and dealing with clients and things like that and wanted a more more of a lifestyle change and one that didn't have me traveling in the car so much um and i was up fly fishing and and i was talking to a friend of mine at the time um i think we, we, were, we were just about to land at 10 pound brown on the dry um <laughs> and um yeah look just over the campfire we came home and I, I just decided that you know i would you know start looking at um oyster farming i, I always had an interest in oyster farming i've got a um a background in natural resource management um, and a little bit of aquaculture back in the day. And it was just, it, it just seemed like the right time. And then, you know, luck would have it, um, vacant water turned up um, just across the road from a property where I reside. And it, it all started from there, mate. Um, you know, so fast forward, you know, five or six years, Red, um, I'm, I'm yeah, well and truly into it. Just, um, you know, Finished my apprenticeship though, more or less, um, and yeah, just learning on the job. But um, yeah, love it. It's a great lifestyle. John, talk us through. So, the the water allotment comes up. How you actually farm oysters? Because um, you can't just set up in any old sort of location to do it, can you? The water quality is a hugely important part of it. Just plant a few rocks, Pat, <laughs> and you can't just plant a few rocks. No, exactly right. So. Um, Essentially, there is no water, more water being made available. So the, the water uh, is either um, comes up to tender through um, a tender process through the fisheries, which is open to um, other um, permit holders who have an um, aquaculture licence for oyster farming and or by um, private sale. So the leases are fully transferable. Uh, so essentially, um, it's about being in the right place at the right time and knowing someone because all oyster leases are pretty much tightly held these days specifically where we um, live on the far south coast of New South Wales um, we're quite lucky um, in in um, in the fact that the estuaries are uh, more or less surrounded by national parks or, and, and have very little um, pressures on them from um, urban areas and, and, and runoff and wastewater uh, so you know that that's key too. Um, hence, you know, I guess the, the you know the far south coast is known as the Sapphire Coast. But yeah, we're lucky because it's it's crucial for growing a good a good rock oyster is having a fantastic um, estuary environment um, that's um, uh, that's you know sort of reflective of of the oyster that's grown. Now, take us yeah. through how it actually works, John. As in, you've got a just I don't actually know. Which You're is talking good, growth just, rates and that just sort everything. Of thing? So yeah. yeah, from how what you have in the water for the oysters to attach to, right through to yep. the growth rate and when you harvest them. Like, do you just do you just throw 
throw a rope in the water and hope it attaches to it? Or what's, <laughs> what's the actual technique that you actually have to start yeah. with right through to the yeah. day that you take them off? Yeah, for sure. Look, it's, um, it, it's a process, mate. It, and it, and it's, and it's an, it's an investment in, in, in time. It's, it's labor intensive. So essentially, uh, what we do, we, we set up, um, in order to get started, uh, the oyster, first and foremost, the oyster w- will spawn. So it, as part of the reproductive cycle every year, um, when the oyster's fat, when it's in its best condition to eat. And generally for us on the far south coast, it's, it's generally sort of the warmer months, say December um, through the back end of, um, of April, just after Easter. Um, and in that time, when the when the oyster's looking fantastic and it's all pumped up, um, there may be an environmental cue. That environmental cue could be, say, a king tide, which we're experiencing now with these really big moons. Uh, it could be uh, strong wind across the lake um, or maybe a subtle um, variance in temperature. So essentially those oysters will spawn. And um, the interesting thing about oysters is that they're, they're hermaphrodites. So essentially an oyster can be either male or female, but it can't be um, the both at, at the same time. So in the early stages of its life cycle, the oysters are typically um, male and yeah. an older oyster is typically a female. And so they broadcast their egg and sperm into the water. And those oysters, well, that, um, those egg and sperm, they, they, they find each other and, and they um, float around for a period of about 21 days before they settle. And, and this is where our farming starts. So we essentially um, catching flats in, which is imagine of say 90 mil PVC pipe for all your plumbers out there, and you um, and you cut it in in four, so you quarter it, and you've got that concave um, side. So we place that concave side looking down, and we create um, a, a stack of these say pipes, say 100 mil high, and we we set them on the intertidal zone on racks so essentially we look towards to see whether the oysters are settling naturally um on the um on the roots of the, uh, the mangroves or on the rock line and essentially after about 21 days those, those oysters will will stop swimming around the estuary and they'll for somewhere to attack to spend the rest of their life and hopefully it's on our flat um and they'll attach and at the moment uh, where we are currently in the cycle of farming, they, they've been attached for a few months now, and we can just start to see them um, appear, and they're just a little bit smaller than the size of a match head at the moment. Um, and then later on in the in the season, normally typically typically for us at Wappingo and Nelson Lake, I generally try and pull my flats in and strip them out by about December. Um, and at that point in time, they're probably about as big as my fingernail on my um, little finger. And, and then, so the process starts from there. And then it's just about um, a constant cycle of grading the oyster um, and, and, you know, pairing it with the right size oysters. And, and then we put them, um, put them back out in, into the um, estuary again on tight lines in these um, round cylinders because we're, what we're wanting to do is, is create an oyster that's not irregular in shape and doesn't have an arch back and, you know, if you, if you see an oyster in the wild, it, you know, normally it's, it's, it's just like a cluster of a whole lot of oysters just on top of each other. Mm. So what we want to do, we, we're creating single seeds. So each oyster we strip, so we have millions of oysters and we're wanting to 
um, ensure that that oyster can be the very best oyster it can possibly be. And by creating um, an environment in which we condition um, the shell growth in, in, in the fact that the oyster will develop a deep cup, will produce an oyster that's got um, much like a, um, a uh, how would I say, a better, um, a better environment in which to develop um, the, the meat content in the body. And, and so, you know, we're producing, um, giving that oyster the best opportunity to, to, you know, to be the best oyster it can be and, and the best on the table, you know. Um, and so the process from there, you know, like fast forward um, three to four years for us, actually. Four years? Um, yeah. It's a, it's a labour of love, man. And, <laughs> and, yeah, right. And, and you, you, don't, you don't see a return overnight. But, um, but once you get in the cycle... Um, you know, things, you know, you know, start to start to level out a bit. But yeah, it's 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 not like baking a loaf of bread, that's for sure. You don't stick it in the oven and it's ready five minutes later. Um, yeah, and you can't rush a rock oyster. And I guess um, one of the fine, you know, things about rock oysters and why it's such a fine food is it's probably in that process that it takes to to mature and develop, and all those flavors associated with that experience. Um, uh, influenced by that, the that exact environment, whether it be in the upper catchment and all the oceanic influences running um, in and out with the tidal exchange every day of the year for um, you know like for three to four years. So um, you know that, that's the way I like to think of it. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty special food though. But um, but it, it but not to say you can't you know just enjoy it around the you know TV or outside. With a you know with a beer uh, around a barbecue or a campfire or something like that. So you know oysters can be as, as simple or as uh, sophisticated as as, you, as as you'd like, boys. Well, when John mentioned that he was a um, a fly fisherman at the start of I the thought we were gonna, I thought we were going to lose the interview for a while. I thought you were going to change the subject, John. We have a, we have a bit of a philosophy now. I love fly fishing, but we have a, yep. a little bit of a philosophy that most fly fishermen that you meet either drive sort of the latest model Range Rover or a Porsche Cayenne. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're yep. a little more at the sort of uh, the top end of town rather than... Uh, little with me. <laughs> you know, you're Aaron Hapgood's of the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pat sitting here with his Range Rover out the front. Oh, no. <laughs> John, um, the business yes. itself has now... It's not limited to... Uh, unless you live in New South Wales, that's the only way that you can actually... Um, purchase mimosa rock oysters uh it's very much online you can purchase that way um, well, he's had to develop with the virus that's happened he's had to transform his whole business into this other aspect of ordering online haven't you john it's been a learning curve yeah absolutely Brad. and it's um you know we got dropped on our head really quickly there so we've um we've had to learn how to how to tread water and 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 swim very quickly so essentially our market was you know more or less wholesale and direct to, um, you know, the top end of town restaurants and that. But, but now the business model, you know, drastically changed overnight. Um, and, you know, I think it's, you know, possibly for a good thing. And it's definitely, it's, it's, um, it's definitely something we're going to maintain um, from now on into the future because we, we see that, you know, out of this whole COVID, um, this whole COVID scenario, you know, we, you know, like the consumer, we've discovered that the consumer still wants to enjoy Oysters and and but also um, they've been able to discover that you know we can actually send them interstate quite quite easily. You know, oysters are rock, in particular rock oyster, 
is, um, you know, is a hardy traveller and can, you know, easily be out of the water for up to... Um, no, we'll stop there. I need you to actually explain yeah. this while I've got you before. Yeah. But Pat, Pat didn't believe me when I told him that I was getting them down from New South Wales and they stay alive for two weeks. And I didn't believe it when you told me either, John. So just yeah. before we do wrap it up, Two weeks yep. they stay alive for Pat, and explain how that works, John, just just quickly because we're going a bit over time. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, quickly, um, oysters um, are, are typically out of water all the time in their environment. See, they're intertidal, so the high tide they cover, the low tide they're not. Um, and just purely through the way we farm them, we actually um, influence the um, size and the um, ability of the abductor muscle to. Um, let that oyster remain closed through how we dry and, and keep fouling off the oyster. So we're conditioning and, and teaching that oyster to stay closed for longer. So yeah, um, essentially not a problem. Seven days is, is, is definitely not, not an issue. And up to 14 days, as long as you um, maintain a, you know, like a constant temperature, but they, they, they don't like um, spiking temperature. So you know, if you could you know, just look after them, then yeah, you'll easily get uh, 14 days um, at best. For sure. And is it true they're an aphrodisiac? Absolutely. <laughs> it's how they maintain their freshness. John, thank you so much uh, for coming on Real Adventures this morning. For more information uh, on Mimosa Rock Oysters, head to their website, www.mimosarockoysters.com.au. A fascinating to chat to talk all things oysters. Thanks, John. Yeah, pleasure, boys. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's tip for New Age Caravans, designed for the road ahead, Redmond. Patrick, this week's tip is coming back off the start of the show, right through to Red's review as well and into the tip. And it's basically trying to help you guys, as our friend Andrews lets us go fishing next week, hopefully. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping we can, Pat. I really am. And... Uh, yeah, I know you are. You 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 message me every day. I'm eating it. rice. I've got no money left. <laughs> I, I know why you've got no money left, and that's coming up in the gas. Oh, but you've got a tip to get through. Right. So basically, it's going to come back to as simple as a diary. Now, what I mean by a diary is it's something I used to do religiously. I don't do it now, and the reason I say I don't do it now is because nearly all of it's inbuilt into my head. Um, but I still use photos on my phone as well as social media to do give me a, to give me a reminder here and there of what to go chase and that's where a diary is going to help the average punter who doesn't have uh, the accessibility to go fishing like I do every day for such a long period of time so a diary is such a good way to basically memorize your fishing in the past without actually having to store it in your brain and that comes down to your wind your swell, your tides, and your moons. It's something that I'll include in every diary that I used to write. So it's only a really small sort of entry, if you will. And you can... You can make it a tick box diary. Yeah, and for those um, that have got iPhones or or Androids, you can actually add notes uh, to photos. So you could set up an album, take your photo on whatever day, and you add in... Um, what did you say? It was just your tides, your moons, uh, tides, moons, weather, your wind, water temperature. You can have whatever you want. You can make it as complicated as you want. But like you said, something to trigger, something to trigger your head to go. Right, that's where they were this time of the year. Oh crap! What I, what tide were they on? Why were they on that tide? And you go, okay, that this time last year it was the full moon, so there was no tide. So we actually got them out deep. So that, right, let's go start out there. And if you had have kept a diary from last year. As we're coming into this period now of, say, we're allowed to fish, yep. uh, let's say we are, uh, 
hoping we are. But say, <laughs> but basically, this is going to help you guys uh, plan your fishing. And honestly, all the fishing that I do is based off what I've done. And yep. it's as simple to say, but it's like I plan. I know in my head right now, I know exactly where I'm going next week with my tides. I've got three spots, and I can guarantee you out of those three spots that I go to for whiting, I guarantee you I'll get my bag off two of them. I'm that confident right now that they've just – I know that I got them there last year. I went – I actually – good friend of the show, Cam White, him and I went through our photos on our phone the other day, and we went through exactly where we were this time last year and the tides we got our fish on. So – that's like using a diary. So make yep. sure you set a diary up in the side. Have columns of what you want to monitor, wind tide, whatever it is, and it's going to help you catch more fish, I promise you, in the future, even after COVID. <laughs> That's Red's tip for New Age Caravans. Take your caravan experience to the next level. New Age Caravans designed for the road ahead. The flying gaff now, it's very simple, and I like to take aim at you. I know you do. Um, Redmond, you just spoke about uh, saving money with uh, for <laughs> rice and – Yet you neglected to mention the fact that you posted a uh, a video during the week around bol- uh, buying a uh, from what my research showed me a three hundred dollar bottle of scotch. It's on special for two hundred, and it was treat myself. I sent you a message, treat myself. It was two hundred dollars at Dan Murphy's. I won on the TAB, so I thought treat you've, myself. Kari gave me approval. You've changed from that simpleton I met at the boat ramp. That Is was it- that was just. Just happy with the cheapest bottle of Jamison that he no, could find. Well, do you know what the funny thing is? I still like my Jamison more than that $300 <laughs> bottle. <laughs> it was okay. To where you're at now, you're an, an oyster-eating, scotch-drinking oyster buffoon. <laughs> that wraps up Real Adventures. We're hoping we can go fishing next week in Victorian waters, but right around the country, make sure you're abiding by the social distancing uh, guidelines and rules and regs. Uh, have a great weekend. and Hopefully I've got a report for you next week. We'll see you then. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.